Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so thankful that you are here with us today. I'm going to keep talking, but I'm going to walk over there. I'm going to dry my hands off because I'm just really <coughs> wet with the baptism. It's great to be a part of a church family and a place that is uh, so loving to young people and investing in their lives. We actually, after the sermon, have the baptism of another young lady in our church named Madison. And so it's just a great, great time to be together. I did want to let you know um, about something else cool that happened this week. Many of you remember in our Christmas offering, it was a very big offering. We paid off the uh, uh, building for Compassionate Hands, the homeless uh, shelter in Lebanon. And we also gave $90,000 to Barry Tatum Academy, which is an amazing school, a part of the Wilson County school system. It's the alternative school. They have an adult high school, virtual learning school, and also an English as a second language. And we have been partnering with them through that investment uh, in this first uh, semester that we've been there. But one of the things we told you that we would do was be a part of their graduation celebration, which was held at the Expo Center in Lebanon this week. And Pastor Mark and I were there, and Eve, our director of outreach, and some others. And it was just a, a wonderful celebration. This, these were the adult high school uh, folks, and most of them are, are, are still young adults, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds um, who... I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, they asked at one point, how many of you students were working full time while you got your degree? They all stood up. You know? uh, there were students there who you know, had children while they were in high school, so weren't able to do traditional school and raise their babies, but stuck with it and got their uh, diploma. There were mom and, uh, mom and daughter combos who graduated together. And what we did with your investment, just a part of it, was threw them a big party. Uh, and so normally after coming out, they would just go get their diploma. But when they came in, there was all this like really awesome food. There was these Oreo balls. I killed a few of them myself. Uh, they, were, they were awesome. Uh, we had the Brave, Strong, Known, Love t-shirts, which is something, you know, that we share with each other to empower us to know our identity in Christ and our value. And so all these graduates were, you know, putting on Brave, Strong, Known, Love t-shirts and uh, we gave Chick-fil-A cards. It was awesome. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted you to know that little piece of the puzzle as we're going to continue to walk with uh, these, some people in our community that we really, really love. I'm excited to share with you our scripture today from Acts chapter 1. We're in just a very brief series, a three-week series leading up to next week, which is called Pentecost, the day that the, the church was born by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so we're in an in-between scripture. Last week, Mark led us as we learned about the disciples waiting for the Holy Spirit. Uh, this week is a very important event before we get to Pentecost. So let me read this to you. And at the end of it, I'll say this is the word of God for the people of God and invite you to say with me, thanks be to God. Acts chapter one, verse four says, and being assembled together with them, the them being the disciples, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he'd spoken these things while they watched, take note, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, 
who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Some of y'all know that I just returned with about 60 folks from Providence Church from Israel. We did a 10 day or so uh, tour there. And in our last uh, few days there, we were staying in Jerusalem. And on my little balcony uh, from our hotel room in Jerusalem, I could see what is called the old city of Jerusalem. So within this big bustling metropolis of Jerusalem, there is this old city, which actually was the old city that we read about in the Bible. It still has the walls around it. So it's the place that Jesus was. It's the place where Solomon's temple uh, was. It's going back even uh, further than that, where David established the city of Jerusalem. And so from my uh, hotel room, I could look out straight ahead was what is called Mount Moriah. Jerusalem has all these little mountains within it. And Mount Moriah is significant because it's the place where the temple was built. And it's the place the temple was built because it's where Abraham brought Isaac for a sacrifice that didn't have to happen. And so on that place was uh, Solomon's temple, uh, this amazing place where the Jews used to worship and uh, live their lives. And now on Mount Moriah, it's a stark kind of contrast between what it was thousands of years ago. Today, there is a Muslim edifice, the Dome of the Rock, and there's not much action about there. It's a very tense place, Palestinian controlled, but I'm looking out for, there's Mount Moriah. To my right is Mount Calvary, which you've probably heard of. It's where the cross was and where the tomb was nearby. And now there's an ancient church that's been built over that. I could see it from the, from the balcony. And then to the left uh, was, this is fascinating, isn't it? I could, I, I could show you slides. Uh, from <laughs> to the left uh, was the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is a very significant place in Jerusalem. It's the place on the top of it where Jesus, when he was coming to Jerusalem for his final week, he said, go, hey, go find me a donkey in the next little town of Bethany and Bethpage there. And then Jesus descended down the Mount of Olives on the Palm Sunday walk uh, down into the city. But also at the base of the Mount of Olives is a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, where a few days later, Jesus had some of his final prayers with the Father. But the Mount of Olives is also the place that Jesus ascended into heaven. And so I was standing on that little balcony and I, I, was, I was looking you know, at that mountain and I was trying to picture what that would have looked like for Jesus to like lift up off of the ground. I mean, I stood in present day, 21st century Jerusalem, which is this bustling, chaotic city. And I, I have a big imagination, but I was just to be honest, I was like, I can't quite picture just a body just being lifted up and going into heaven. So I kind of puzzled over that at, at night and in the morning when I would stand there. And Jerusalem was like, it was just a mess, man. There was a ambulance sirens and police sirens and honk, uh, horns honking all throughout the night. You know, I could hear them in my, my hotel room. There's marketplaces where they're shouting in Arabic and Hebrew and, and, and English. The Jerusalem that we stood in was very tense. Less than 50 miles away, they were shooting missiles in the area of Gaza. You know, if you think America feels divided today, you know, walk a, a few days in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict of today's Israel. It makes our Republicans and Democrats look like a middle school quarrel, right? And I was standing there knowing that my next Sunday talking to you guys, I was gonna be preaching on the ascension of Jesus. So I'm looking at the Mount of Olives and I felt, I don't know if this is what the disciples felt, but maybe I, I felt what they felt. And it was sort of like, Jesus, maybe you should have stayed put a little longer. Maybe, Jesus, you should have stayed here instead of going there. Jesus, maybe instead of going to the right hand of the Father, you should have stayed right here with us. And I wondered about the ascension. I want you to see the word. It's not someone we talk about all that much. In fact, we don't preach about the ascension hardly at all. 
We talk about a lot of other things, some other big church words. There's one called the incarnation. The incarnation is our belief that God became flesh. And we talk about that almost every week in some kind of way here at Providence Church. We're talking about this amazing thing that God became flesh in Jesus. We talk about the crucifixion, which is Jesus being crucified, killed on the cross and and dying. Every week in communion, we remember the crucifixion. Our favorite ION is the resurrection, right? That's what we base our faith on. And certainly we should be talking about that. But the ascension, not so much. And I, I don't know, it's sort of like if we were drawing it up, maybe we'd say to God, maybe you should have let Jesus be king here, right? Uh, Maybe instead of just making things right, you should have left Jesus here to keep things right. Why the ascension? Well, first this, I want you to know that the ascension, even though we don't talk about it much, is one of the core central beliefs of Christianity. Uh, Let me remind you of the Apostles' Creed. Some of you know it, an ancient statement of faith taking together the core beliefs of Christianity. It starts by saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe that that God is the maker of all this. But the next line says, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That's the incarnation. But then it says he was crucified, dead, and buried. That's the crucifixion. But three days later, he rose from the dead. That's the resurrection. And the next line, some of you you feel it coming is, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. So I want to try to convince you today that you believe in the ascension. And this is coming from a guy who's sort of puzzling over it, like, did this really happen? Because here's the deal. If you believe in the resurrection, and many of you do, I know not all of you, that's okay, but many of you believe in the resurrection. And I've never met anyone who believes in the resurrection that thinks Jesus is still walking around somewhere in Israel. My point in saying that is he had to go somewhere, right? I've never met anybody that believes in the resurrection that thinks that Jesus then died again and his bones are somewhere in a tomb in Israel. And so a core part of our belief, even though we don't talk about it that much, is that when Jesus was resurrected, he went somewhere else, he ascended into heaven. The the ascension of Jesus takes place 40 days after the resurrection. So in our church calendar, as we had our Easter, that was this last Thursday. So I know y'all had parties, right, to celebrate the ascension. Maybe we should. 40 days after Easter is the ascension. And the ascension was God's way of getting Jesus in the highest place. The ascension was God's way of getting Jesus in the highest place. Because when the right thing is in the highest place, everything else falls into place. When the right thing is in the highest place, everything else gets in its right place. And the converse of that is, is when the wrong thing is in the highest place, everything else is in danger. I really believe that. That if we get the wrong thing in the best place, in the highest place, everything else, not just a few things, everything else is in danger. So another story, I've heard it said, if you pay for your pastor to go to Israel, you all will pay for it for the rest of your lives. Uh, So I have another story. I have another story. We we started our, it's fascinating to me. So I just, I love that y'all are are looking at me like you care. So... (laughs) On our first day in Israel, we weren't in Jerusalem. We were in the northern part by the Sea of Galilee. And our first trek, we went north from Galilee into what's called the Golan Heights. 
And it was there that we visited the ruins of an ancient town called Dan. Dan was named after the Israelite tribe of that same name. So here's how it worked when the Israelite tribes, there were 12 tribes, made their way after 40 years in the wilderness into the promised land, into Israel. They were allotted, and there was a bunch of them, like hundreds of thousands of them. They were allotted all these pieces of land within Israel. So this is where Dan gets to go. This is where Reuben gets to go. This is where Judah gets to go. And Dan got a great piece of land initially in the southern part by the Mediterranean Sea. But it was such a good piece of land that a bunch of other people wanted it too, namely the Philistines, and they couldn't keep up fighting with them. So Dan traveled to the northern part of Israel. Israel's about the size of New Jersey, and they went about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. I have a map. It's a very small map, but I just wanted you to see circled up top is where Dan, the tribe of Dan, went and lived. That's north of the Sea of Galilee, the little blue circle there. And you can see that Jerusalem is the second circle in the bottom, way down there, further close to uh, the Dead Sea. Now, what happened is when they got there, they found it difficult to get to worship because worship happens in Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. That's where the temple mount is. That's where all Jews would go to worship. And they especially would go there three times a year for these uh, celebrations. And they just couldn't quite get there. It's inconvenient, right? They'd moved all the way up to, you know, the northern part of New Jersey. And so it was hard for them to get back down. And so it wasn't practical. So in those times, worship happened in the high places like Mount Moriah or the Mount of Olives. So in Dan, they had a high place and they set up an altar up there to worship in their highest place, a great idea. And what they set up in the high place of worship in this new place called Dan is they set up a golden calf and worshiped it. Bad idea. And to me, it was one of the most striking things that we saw in all of Israel was still the remains of, a, of the people of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who traveled far to the promised land. And after just a short period of time of finding it difficult to get to worship, they built an altar to a golden calf, just like their ancestors had done when they were wandering in the wilderness. And you don't hear about the tribe of Dan anymore. You may have never heard of the Danites in your whole life. And the reason is, is when they put the wrong thing in the highest place, their culture and their civilization and their city was destroyed. When the wrong thing is in the highest place, everything else is in danger. They were too far away from worship. The effort to get to worship was too much. So... They put up a golden calf in the high place in their neighborhood because it was easier. It was hard to get to the right place. The Pew Research Center in America since COVID-19 has been tracking worship attendance. And they have noted that one in three practicing Christians in America in the last three years have stopped coming to worship. 30%. For the first time in America, for the first time in America, Less than 50% of the people have a house of worship that is Christian that they go to and worship at. Only 28% of people even say they go to a church. So there's 50% of us that say, I have a church, but only 28% actually come to worship at a church. That's down from 34% just two years ago. Now, I am not a prophet. I don't see into the future, but I can tell you that that data that I just shared with you will, will spell danger and disaster for our nation. Because I can't see into the future, but I can see into the past. And when we put other things in the highest places, we're in danger. But when the right thing is in the highest place, 
everything else falls into place. Jesus' ascension is so important because we need him high and lifted up at the right hand of the Father. Because when we become a people who point to Jesus in his rightful place, that's when we will find power. The ascension of Jesus is situated in the scripture right after the resurrection, right after Jesus says, wait for the power. But before the power comes, Jesus is lifted up. Jesus goes high. Jesus gets to the right place. Jesus himself said, when the son of man is lifted up, he will draw all people unto himself. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Another way of saying it would be, and all these things will fall into place. Jesus himself, when asked what was the most important thing, he said, I know it, it's love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. He says, all the law and all of the prophets hangs on that. Was Jesus saying all the law and all the prophets were unimportant? No, he was just saying, but if you don't have the love of God right here at the top highest, you don't have a chance of knowing the law or following the prophets. And that's why we must exalt Jesus all the time. That's why what we're doing here is so important. That's why I have great hope for our nation because the remnant of God's people still exist. And when you start off your day, you need to start off with Jesus exalted. Lift him up in your mind. Lift him up in your heart. When you go to that meeting tomorrow, ask yourself, where is Jesus in my heart and my mind right now? Exalt him, lift him up. Before you have that hard conversation with your kid, ask, where is Jesus right now in my life? What if we kept Jesus high and lifted up? Whatever it costs. And that's why it's like, yeah, read your Bible every day. Pray with your family. Pray over your family. Join a group where you're, where you're encouraging each other. Serve in mission. Don't relent in keeping Jesus high in your life. Exalt him, exalt him, exalt him. Why do we sing of the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus? Because we exalt him in our presence and we remember that he has been lifted up and that the power comes because he is there. Jesus ascended into heaven and that means we should worship him. And that means even if it's hard to get to worship, we should worship him. That means even if it's inconvenient, we should worship him. We should be in the business of exalting Jesus. Somehow, over the last few years, I've seen a mindset slip into contemporary America and Christians in America that the most important thing, it's a mindset that the most important thing that we can do is be right. Have you noticed it? That what well, the most important thing would be to be right on the right side of every issue and make your opinion known, right? <laughs> And I have lots of opinions. Ask Rachel. Uh, I, I'm, I'm as opinionated as the next guy. And many times they come out here and that's okay. But, but if we think our safety and security is found in being right, if I'm right, I'm safe. Well, that's not right. What we actually need is Jesus in the right place, not to be right all the time. There is no evidence that followers of Jesus were judged on their rightness. Am I saying it's unimportant to be right, unimportant to follow the law and the prophets? No, but we're not judged on our rightness. In fact, the early Christians called their rightness, their righteousness, filthy rags in comparison to the righteousness of Jesus. And so the priority that the early Christians took was making sure over and over that Jesus was exalted, that Jesus' righteousness was claimed over their lives, worn over their lives. Power is found when we put Jesus in the right place. And the role of a priest, uh, I'm your priest, good luck with that, okay? <laughs> the role of a priest 
is not to get all of you thinking the right way. A priest makes sure the right thing is on the altar. And so if we're talking about things right and wrong, which we'll do all the time, my purpose in doing that is to try to get golden calves off of our altars so we make sure we're worshiping Jesus. Jesus ascended literally, physically. They watched the bottom of his feet go up into heaven because Jesus in the high place is what keeps us in the right place. So what does Jesus being in the high place get us? This is so good, guys. What does Jesus being, what, why does the ascension matter? The first is this, confidence in the present moment. Jesus is presently reigning as king. He's not walking in Galilee. He's not hanging on a cross. He's not dead in a grave. He's alive and sitting at the right hand of God. And that means as humble servants, we serve an exalted king. And as we do that, we are confident. We should be the most confident people in the world. We are strategically serving the one who's high and lifted up. What a way to live, right? Whatever you do, you can be bold and confident in it because, well, Jesus is sitting on his throne. There is also, because Jesus has ascended, comfort for the suffering. I know some of you are suffering today and the ascension is important for you. Jesus' exaltation of the highest place is the greatest comfort to those who suffer in the world. Why? Jesus has suffered, but no longer, okay? Jesus has suffered, so he knows our suffering. He knows what you're going through. He's felt the full extent of it, but no longer. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus is our counselor and mediator, hearing our prayers, and he responds to your suffering and mine in this world, not with earthly authority or the authority of man, but with all of the authority of the heavens and of the God, the Father. Next week is Pentecost, where we're gonna talk about the power. It's also Memorial Day weekend. And I'm praying for a big surprise here next week <laughs> that you surprise me. I don't want you to feel bad about it. If you're on the boat, watch it online, okay? <laughs> Seriously, do it. But in between the resurrection and the power is the exaltation of Jesus. And sometimes we will try to live a Christian life where we are big on resurrection and we're big on power, but we're not so big on making Jesus the main thing in the highest place in our life. And if you have the wrong thing in the highest place, all the other stuff's in danger. And so there's this great comfort even in our suffering because he is there. Another thing, I love this, is that because of the ascension, we have this beautiful companionship with sisters and brothers. I'll explain why the ascension is important to that. Here's the truth. If you spend your life exalting yourself, you will end up being very, very lonely. You can do it. You can get yourself all the way high up and you'll be the only one hanging out there. But if you live a life that exalts Jesus, you will have the best friends in the world. You will have the deepest connection with people in the world. On Friday, uh, we did a, a funeral service, graveside service for a, a wonderful family in our church, a guy named uh, John Hamilton Sr. And it, it broke my heart to be there with his, his grandsons whom I love and his family. And, and yet there was this thing that happened. I began to notice it, this deep connection and companionship amongst brothers and sisters in Christ because of the resurrection and the exaltation and the power. Last night, Rachel and I attended a wedding of a young couple uh, in our church. I was thinking like, man, they're really young. And Rachel's like, they're older than we were when we got married. You know, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and um, we uh, went to the reception, you know, and we're hanging out with 
people who go to church here. And we just begin to feel the deep connection, right? The companionship of years of loving Jesus together, of exalting him over and over and over, and then being able to celebrate a young couple who made a covenant with God and with each other. We don't talk about it enough, but the family of God, the companionship of brothers and sisters in Christ is unmatched on this earth in the comfort that it brings. And the reason we can do that is because the one who died and was resurrected is now sitting in power at the right hand of God. We're confident, we have power, we live in a different kind of way. We join together, even in the suffering and the muck and the chaos of this world. And we know that we are loved by God and that we love each other. One more, not just confidence for the present moment, but confidence for the future. Here's the deal, guys. The ascension of Jesus Christ means that we have a glorious future, a glorious future, because our ascended Lord is coming back. And when he comes back, he will end injustice and abolish suffering and put you know, death to destruction. And Jesus will set up a new kingdom on earth. And that kingdom will be one of truth and love and righteousness. And, 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 and we will be with our king forever. And so we say, come Lord Jesus. Would you say that with me? Come Lord Jesus. My beautiful wife, Rachel, will say that sometimes. Come Lord Jesus. And it's not just like a Southern expression. It's coming from a place when we see the suffering and we're tired of it and, we're, and, we're, and we're, we feel like, you know, there, there, there's, there's no way out. We say, come Lord Jesus, would you come back? We actually desire deeply the one who ascended to come back. And so let me read this scripture to you again. This is from King James. I did that to you. You didn't even know it when I read it the first time, but I would like the way it sounds. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What's that mean? It means Jesus of Nazareth who ascended from a real hill in Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives will one day come back to the Mount of Olives. In the same way he went, he will come back. Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus walked the earth, wrote a prophecy. It's in our Holy Scriptures. And it says this, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, just to the left of the Jacob's hotel room, right? <laughs> and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. And here's what will happen. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. And now from Zechariah's prophecy, 500 years before Jesus, and now we stand 2000 years after that, we know the name and the name is Jesus. As Paul said to the early Christians, he said, the one who has humbled himself to the lowest place is now being exalted by God that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.